So welcome to our Wednesday Bible study. We've been going through the parables for the last year and a half. My name is uh, Pastor Ken. I'm one of the pastors at Celebrate Seniors. Celebrate Seniors is a ministry of faith dialogue. So before we get started today, let me pray. And then hopefully you'll join in and be able to, uh, to enjoy this uh, parable with us. So, Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, that we can open up your scriptures. Uh, we're looking through the parables. These are the Jesus, words of Jesus in red. So we thank you for that, Lord. We know that this is written especially for our benefit, and we know that we learn from it, and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, we're going through the parables one by one. There's about 46, 47, 48, depending on how you count parables, unique parables in the New Testament. Jesus often spoke in parables. And in fact, in one place, the, G the, the apostles asked him why he spoke in parables. And he said, because it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. So these parables are about the kingdom of God. And in every kingdom, there's a king. So in these parables, we're going to be looking for the king. And we're going to try to apply this to our understanding of the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus did when he came. Jesus came so that we might know God. Uh, Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. How much better for us to know who God is than if God visits us. You can, you can read stories about Jesus, you can see movies about Jesus, but it's nothing like experiencing the real Jesus. And this is exactly what happened with his apostles and with his disciples and the people of Israel during the time of Jesus. So we are in Luke chapter 14. If you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and turn it to Luke uh, chapter 14. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, would you do me a favor? Would you give me a call or send me a text? I'll put my, my email, my phone number on the, uh, on the screen a little bit later. Uh, would you let me know that you don't have a Bible? I'll be glad to get you a Bible. You need to have a Bible to be able to study the Word of God. And it's free from, from our ministry and from our supporters. But we're in Luke chapter 14. We've done a couple of parables already in this chapter. And we're now on the, what's called the parable of the Great Supper. And that starts in verse 15 of Luke 14. And let me read it for you, and then we'll start to unpack it as we look at the context, not just the text. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he, that's Jesus, said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled, for I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. So again, these are the words of Jesus. They're the words in red that are printed in, in your Bibles. So 
let's talk about, first of all, the context. I said this was one of the parables in chapter 14. Chapter 14 actually starts off with uh, healing. Jesus um, is, is in one of the Pharisees' homes. Remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, Jesus is invited to the, one of the homes of the Pharisees, and they did this. They would be reclining at tables. I, I mentioned there might be as many as 9 to 12 people reclining around three or four different tables. And, and Jesus healed a man. It said the man had dropsy. Dropsy is a, a swelling. It's a, a edema. But, but Jesus healed this man, and it happened to be the Sabbath. Wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know that Jesus would be healing on the Sabbath? There you go. The Sadducees and Pharisees are all upset because Jesus is doing work on the Sabbath. And Jesus did this a number of times. And I think Jesus did it almost intentionally to show them the hardness of their heart, that, that they would take something that was given to man to be able to rest and enjoy and relax. And the Bible said there are six days to work, but on the seventh, don't do any work, rest, relax. It's the day that the Lord has made and just enjoy it. And, and instead they took it as some kind of legalistic yoke around the people and they counted off how many paces you could actually step, uh, how much energy that you could expend before you were actually working. And one of the things they didn't like was Jesus healing. I would think that if they saw somebody healed, that would be enough. That would be like, well, that's pretty amazing. Maybe you've got control over the, the Sabbath itself. And that's Jesus what, had said, what he said, uh, but he did it anyway. So then Jesus tells a, a story and he says, hey, if you have a donkey and the donkey falls into the ditch on the Sabbath, wouldn't you get it out of the ditch? Of course, this is something that the Old Testament actually required, that if there was a, an ox or a donkey that, that needed some help, you were required to help the donkey or the ox. And how much more should you be able to help a man? And then Jesus goes on and tells a parable. And that's why we're t talking about this, is because we want to see the context. So the context of this, this parable today starts off with a healing, and then Jesus tells this, this parable about being invited to a dinner, maybe a, a banquet of some kind, and being careful where you sit. You don't want to think so highly of yourself that you actually go and sit at the head table because you're going to be embarrassed. Maybe the head of the of the feast, uh, maybe the person that's, that's hosting this dinner would come to you and say, hey friend, uh, this, this seat doesn't belong to you. You're actually back there in, in steerage class. You're in third class, not in first class. And, and, and Jesus tells us, and we said that he told us because one of the values that the Bible talks about often, and Jesus talks about almost every time, is the idea of humility. He said that if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you, be a, you need to be a servant of, of all. You need to have this kind of humility. And, and Jesus continues that because he, he then goes on and talks about a, um, a, a small story. He says, if you want to give a dinner or a supper, this is right before our verses for today, uh, do, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But instead, go when you give a feast, go invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they can't repay you. So the idea again is this, uh, this concept of, of humility, of, of being able to understand that God loves the least of these. God, God loves the ones that, that don't have the ability to repay. It's really about this, this grace of God. So that brings us today to, to this parable, this parable of the Great Supper. And, and this, this could be a king, this could be a landowner, this is, this is a great banquet, 
a great banquet. In fact, it has, it has overtures, it has uh, truisms way beyond this actual parable because we know that in the end of days there's going to be a great feast. And that's how it starts off because it says when, when somebody heard Jesus speaking, uh, they said, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. You see, the, the Jews knew that there was going to be a time when the Messiah would come and there would be this, this great feast that, that the kingdom of God would, all the saints would be gathered together and all the people, all the people that were righteous would be gathered together and be able to participate in this great feast. And Jesus takes this opportunity to correct our hearts and give us an understanding of what God considers to be great. So this king is having this great supper, and what we'll do is we'll kind of go through this. This is typically how we look at these parables. We'll, we'll take a look at what the parable actually says, so we'll try to find the meaning for it, and then we'll try to take the higher meaning and try to pull the kingdom of God out of it. So, so first of all, we see that there's this, this great banquet, and, and at the time... Um, at the time that these banquets were being held, remember they didn't have email, they didn't have even mail service, they would have to spread the word, give invitations, and typically a great banquet like this, they would give the invitations out um, maybe six months, maybe even a year advance. You probably get those too. Sometimes you get an invite or a message from one of your friends or your family and they'll say, save the date something's coming, save the date. So there's a date in the future and you circle it and you say, yeah, I, I'm going to save that date. So there's already been a response by these people, but now it says that some, the supper is ready. It says at the time of the banquet, okay, this means it's ready. Okay, it's kind of like, have you ever, have you ever received a, a wedding invitation? And it says RSVP, and it's going to be at a at a fancy place, at the at the Hilton or the Hyatt or or some great banquet facility. And, and you know, especially if you if you, if you're a dad, if if you had a, a wedding for your daughter, you know these things can be kind of expensive. So you're RSVPing for a couple of reasons. One, you're telling them that you're honored to come, but you also know that they need to to find a place for you, that they need to reserve a a place for you. You're going to check whether you want chicken or steak, right? You want chicken or steak, or maybe you want fish. You, you identify what you want. So if this was a banquet back at the time of Jesus, these people are doing exactly the same thing. They're, they're preparing. They're, they're getting the fatted calves, and they're bringing, the, they're bringing the, the, all of the food and the wine. They're getting thing, everything ready. Remember, we just talked a little bit about the, the wedding at Cana. And at the wedding at Cana, they, they ran out of wine. They, they hadn't prepared enough for either the wedding went longer than they were expecting or there were more guests that were invited. Whatever it was, there was a, a misconnect. So the person that's having this feast is getting ready because you've been invited and he's expecting you to come. But then here's the twist in this story. It says, it says and he sent his servant at supper time to say those who, to those who were invited, come, for all things are now ready. But then it says, but they with all one accord, one accord. Now that doesn't mean a Honda motor, that doesn't mean a Honda car. It means, in fact, it's, it's using a couple of uh, Greek words and it's being translated means they all began to make excuses at once. In fact, there's some theologians that believe that what you see here is almost a conspiracy of sort. Uh, there's no coincidence that the person that had bought a large piece of property or the person that had bought five 
uh, yoke of oxen, or the person that had married, were all responding. But all of a sudden, this person that's giving this feast is finding there's almost a conspiracy out there. There's, a, there's another narrative that's going on somewhere. And people are canceling the reservations. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of, of the political climate we had over the last couple of years. You know, it was always an honor to be invited to the White House. Um, if you were on the championship basketball team or the championship hockey team or you were in the Super Bowl and you got your Super Bowl ring, often the President of the United States would invite you to the White House. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never been invited to the White House to be able to go and meet with the President and have my picture and just, and just see the 200 years of history of, of what's going on, of all the great people that had, had passed through those doors to be invited. And we saw over the last few years that there was a, a conspiracy of sorts where people started rejecting the invitations. No, I won't come. I'm not going to come. And, and they did this almost to, to slam the President of the United States, to, as if it was shaming him. Well, they're the ones that lost out. I mean, again, even with this banquet, people are saying no to a banquet, but it's a, it's a banquet. There's going to be a, a big table with all kinds of food. And I, I love banquet tables. I, I love it. I love being able to go to the table rather than actually being served. Maybe you're like me. I love it when there's a buffet. You know, I love the, the Jimmy Buffett buffet. You know, I, I love having the, the shrimp and the ham and the turkey and, and all of the salads. And I can just kind of go and just kind of enjoy the variety of different foods. But for some reason in this parable, these people are giving flimsy excuses. Remember, they had already been invited six, nine months ago. They had circled the date. They'd already responded with their RSVP saying they were coming. But now at the last minute, they're, they're saying they're not going to come. And there's, there's something afoot here. And, and this, is, this is why the landowner is, is so upset. He's, he's so upset. It says he was, he was furious. And... If you notice that these, these excuses are, are really kind of, of flimsy. Let's go and kind of go through them one by one. It says, one bought a large piece of, of property. Okay, now, who buys large pieces of property? Well, rich people. Rich people, okay? And rich people didn't get rich just because they were dumb. I mean, they're smart. And a smart person takes a look at the property, okay, before he buys it. And it says here, they, they've already purchased it. So there's, there's no rush. I mean, if you've already bought something, it's already yours. The property's not going to go away. You could easily go a week later, two weeks later. It's, it's not going anywhere. So this is a very flimsy excuse. I need to go and see the property I purchased. The next one says, I bought five yoke of oxen. Now, commentators make the point that this is five yoke of oxen. Typically, a small farm would have maybe a mule or an ox or maybe if it was a productive uh, farm, they would have two oxen that they would yoke together. Remember the Bible talks about don't be unequally yoked, make sure the yokes are about the same so both can pull at the same rate of speed. This is five yoke of oxen, could be as many as 10 big cows, okay? 10 big oxes. Well, this is a very wealthy man, again, most likely, somebody's already identified who this, this yoke of oxen is. He's got, he's got helpers. He's got lots of people that can take care of this. It's almost like he's just in your face. I'm wealthy, and I don't need this, and I'm going to check out, and I'm going to go back to my, to my job. 
Still another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And I, and I, I think this is, you know, first of all, most likely the invite was plus one, right? You know what a plus one invite is, right? That's where you get invited because they know you, but they don't know who you might want to bring, and they know you're not going to come by yourself, so it's a plus one. So his, his wife is included in this invitation. And not only that, in, in, the, in the Jewish law, maybe you didn't know this, if you were married, if you got married, that was, that was a big thing. You know, we get, we, get, we get time off from work for pregnancy. If, if a woman has a baby and she needs to take care of the baby, we, as a society, we give those people time off, sometimes with pay, sometimes with half pay, but we guarantee their job when they come back because it's so important for a woman, a mother, to be with their child. Well, back in the days of Israel, during this time, marriage was so important, it isn't like it is today, that they would be excused from certain things. They would be excused, for example, from military service. A, a young man that got married, even if, if Israel went to war, they would be excused for a whole year from military service. But that didn't exclude them from social events. This was, this was a party. This was just a party. Wouldn't you want to bring your new wife to a party? So again, these are, these are flimsy excuses. Let's see, these are very flimsy excuses. And let's see how the, the person that gave this, this feast, how he responds. Well, first off, he, he's responding because he's, he's furious. He's upset. He knows exactly what's going on. So he tells his servant, he says, I want you to go back out there, and I want you to go quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Those four. The poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Now, why do you think that they were, those four groups of people were, were told why was the servant told to go find those four, four groups? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, most likely they weren't originally invited, right? They weren't originally invited. If, if these were the people that were invited, but we already know that the responses are coming from people that are, are pretty wealthy. Um, they were invited, but they decide not to come. So now they're going to after the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. Also, the thing is, is that remember in the Jewish culture, and hopefully we don't have too much of that today, but in the Jewish culture at the time of Jesus, the people felt that the people that were poor, maimed, lame, and blind were typically cursed by God. Isn't that something to think? I mean, it's, it's bad enough. It's bad enough to be going through life with some kind of a, of a physical ailment. ailment. Uh, people, we call people that are challenged today, right? People that uh, have a, a mental challenge or a physical challenge. They, they, they're not equipped like other people, they are, they are challenged. And as a result, back at the time of Jesus, people felt that, well, it was God. There was somebody that had sinned. And remember, remember there was a, a man that was born blind and the apostles came to Jesus and they said, they said um, who was it that sinned? Was it the man that sinned or his parents that sinned that this man was born blind? See, this was not only the attitude of the apostles, but this was the attitude of, of the common people. This was part of their culture. And Jesus is doing something, and he's saying, I want you to go and invite these people, the people that you're looking down your nose at. I want you to invite them. And then, and then it says, the servant says, Master, it is as done as you commanded, and still there's more room. You see, this was, this was going to be a big feast. I mean, who would want to miss that? Who, I mean, this is like the, the event of the century. This is, this is a 
big feast and people are saying they don't want to come. So the master said to the servants, I want you to go to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. You see, there's, there's something about this, this master, there's, and we're going to get the, to the meaning of the story. We're going to find out that the master here is none other than probably Jesus or, or God the Father. This is, this is deity inviting you to a banquet. This is God. This isn't the President of the United States. This is God inviting you to a, a banquet. And people are turning him down. But God's not going to be thwarted. You know, <laughs> there, there was a... There was a uh, a play that my wife and I went to see years ago. This, we were in Detroit. And the name of the play was Your Arms Too Short to, to, to Fight with God or to Box with God. And, and I, I like that idea. Is that, you know, see, God's going to have his way. I mean, you can argue with God if you want to. Job tried that. You can argue with God. You can decide to go your own way. But God is God. And he's going to have his way. He's going to have, he's going to accomplish the things that he wants to accomplish. And he's going to accomplish that with the people that he's going to choose. And if the people that turn down the invitation early decide not to come, he's going to find others that will fulfill the bill. He's going to fill those seats. There's not going to be empty seats at this banquet. The, the master of, the, of this house is going to make sure that the people, all of the seats get filled. So the master says, go to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come. Now these are the people that are really outcast. They're, they're outside of the social circles. You know, uh, today, it's kind of the same way. Uh, there's, there's people that live in the city, people that live in the high-rises, and they drive fancy cars, and they take their elevators up, and they have, they have uh, doorkeepers, and people park their cars for them, and, and they're pretty affluent. Okay, but then you go out to the suburbs, and what do we do in the suburbs? We, we cut our own grass. We wash our own cars, right? Uh, less likely to have servants. We're, we're the working stiff. And then you go out even further out into the country. And who lives out in the country? Well, God bless the people that live out in the country. There's, there's farmers and the people that, have, that love it out there. But a lot of times what happens is the people that can't afford, they can't afford the, the good property. They can't afford the property in the inner city. They can't afford the property downtown. They can't afford the property that's overlooking the lake next to all of the boats. They can't afford to live in the suburbs where the houses are going up and they're sprawling 3,000, 4,000 square feet with a swimming pool in back. They're living further out. And this is what Jesus is saying, or this is what Jesus is saying in this parable, is that then the master of the house said, go out and get the rest of the people. It reminds me of the words to Jesus just before he ascended into heaven. He said, he says, all power has been invested in me and I give it to you. He says, I want you to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, meaning all people. Go and make disciples and, and make, make them in, in Jerusalem and Samaria and even the outer parts of the earth. The whole idea of going out from Jerusalem, go out through the whole world. Go to the whole world and preach the gospel. And that's what, that's what this parable is actually, I think, bringing us to. So, so let's get into this, to this meaning of this parable. I, I think there's, there's a couple of things here that we really want to kind of dig into. Uh, we've talked about, um, about these people that, first of all, that were invited to taste the banquet, but they refused to. Now, most theologians, most pastors that teach on this, 
of the obvious examples is this, is, is Jesus had been talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And see, the Pharisees and the Sadducees thought that they were the best. And Jesus said, don't be like the Pharisees and Sadducees. They, they pray long prayers so that they can be heard. Uh, they, they, they fast and they mourn and they lower their heads so that people think that they're really special. They're really holy people. Don't, don't be like that. Don't be like that. These Pharisees and these Sadducees felt that they were God's best, very God's best. You see, they were the ones that deserved to be invited to this banquet. They were the ones that, that were included. They were the chosen people. They were the chosen of the chosen people. They were the leaders of the chosen people. But Jesus is giving us a, a different message here. In fact, we see this in a number of the parables. We see that Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. That's what the Gospel of John says. Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. The Jewish people were looking for the Messiah. The Messiah was going to be of the, the tribe of, of Judah, a descendant of David. And even when, when Jesus came, even when he came, his own did not receive him. You see, there's a, this invitation that went out. These people felt that they deserved the invitation because somehow they were the chosen people. They were the, the people that God really honored, maybe because of all of the good works that they had done. But no, this was, this was just an invitation. Have you ever received an invitation and you said, wow, I'm getting invited. That's great. I, I get to go somewhere that I haven't been able to go. I remember when I was, when I was, uh, uh, a young, um, young an employee at, at Ford Motor Company. Ford Motor Company had box seats. Uh, we, had, we had box seats at, at Tiger Stadium. We had box seats at the Lions. In fact, we had a, we had a, a, a whole suite at the Palace. Um, at, it was where the Pistons played. And, and I was just a, a, a young guy. I, I didn't know anybody. I was, I was way, way, way down on the, on the rank. And all of a sudden, I got invited. To, to take those box seats, that I could, I could have those box seats and I could invite my family if I wanted to, I could invite some friends if I wanted to. They were given to me. It was just an invitation. There was nothing I did to, to deserve it. I just happened to be there. It got to be my turn. And what a thrill. What a thrill to get invited to something that you really don't deserve. There's nothing you did to be able to get it. It was just a, a gift. Are you like me? I, I love getting gifts. I, I love getting gifts. It isn't that I really need things, but I love it that somebody went out of their way to be able to, to give me something, just, just, just to bless me. And, and I love it when those gifts are not because I gave them something. Now they feel obligated that they need to give me something back, but it just kind of comes out of left field. It just, just kind of comes. People just, just, just because. Remember, there's, there's, a, there's a thing that's going on today. Um, that's called pay it forward. Have you heard about that? Just kind of pay it forward. The idea is that you give a gift to somebody. You do something nice to somebody. Maybe, maybe somebody's um, trying to get a couple of tickets or they're standing in line and they forgot their wallet or, or whatever it is. They're at the car wash and they're in line and all of a sudden they realize their credit card's not working. Whatever it is. And somebody can bless them. Pay it forward. And I love you're so good. It's really about the 
her, not about this. of grace. To just give you some of the New Testament. Grace of God expressed could die for our sin, I've done when heaven accepted into heaven, not because of the basis of what we do, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. This is the grace of God. Um, here's here's some of the people that I that I follow. A guy named John Stott from England. He says this. He says, "Grace is love." that cares and stoops and rescues. B.B. Um, Warfield, a great theologian, said, grace is free, sovereign favor to the ill-deserving. See, the ill-deserving, remember in the parable, it talked about the, the maimed and the poor and the blind and the crippled. These are the people that the society would have thought is non, uh, non-deserving. Uh, Jerry Bridges, um, Jerry Bridges said, the grace, grace is God reaching downward to people who are in rebellion against him. See, even the Bible says we love God because God loved us. We that we God loved us. Most needed in best of of suffering. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. God gives us grace. No, these parables that Jesus uh, teaches, teach us about the kingdom of God, teach us about the principles of the kingdom of God. These are things that are hidden to other people that, but are revealed to us. And that's why I love these parables. You know, so many of these parables are, are strictly about God's grace. Remember, there's a parable about the the, the farmer that went out to sow some seeds and he sowed some seed and he was a little careless almost with the seed. You know, some got along the rocks and, and some went in shallow ground and some went by weeds, but, but there was some seed that, that grew up. And, and I said before, when we, when we look at this parable, it's about the grace of God. God is the, the sower. He's the one that's extravagant. He's, he's, he's planting the, the seed even in places that it may not grow that everybody has a chance to be able to understand the, the grace of God. Remember there's a parable about, about the, uh, the same kind of farmer, and he, he plants good wheat, good seed out there. It's supposed to be a, a wheat field, but instead all of these thorns and these, this, this other weedy t- stuff kind of grows with it. And the weeds grow with the wheat, and they said, should we pull it out? He said, no, don't pull it out because you're going to disrupt some of the wheat. We'll wait until the end times. See, it's just the grace of God that allows us to be able to grow like this. Jesus gave the parable of the people that were being hired. Remember, and some people were hired at the beginning of the day, the midday, and then some came at the end of the day. But they, were, they received the same wages, and Jesus said, the last will be first. The last will be first. That's the, that's the grace of God. 
Then we even see the, the story of Jesus talking again. He's, he's criticizing the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he says there was a Pharisee in the temple, and the Pharisee was, was praying to God, but he prayed in a way that was very arrogant. He said, oh, God, I, I thank that I'm not like this, this tax collector, okay? But I, I tithe, and I pray three times a day. I do all these things. But the tax collector was over there just beating his, his breast and saying, God, forgive me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth that this, this tax collector is forgiven where the Pharisee is not. This is, the, this is the grace of God. God just gives grace to anyone that would receive it. You know, receiving is important. It, it really is. Um, you know, talk about, you know, different gifts. I told you I like getting gifts and stuff like that. Well, imagine somebody gave me a gift. And I said, thank you. And I took the gift and didn't unwrap it and just put it on the shelf and just stayed there. See, that, that gift would do no good. It would just sit there in a box. It, it needs to be, to be received. And, and, and Jesus talks about this. Jesus says this. Um, um, and actually, in the Gospel of John, let me flip over to it real quick. John is one book past uh, the Gospel of Luke. And it's at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Jesus said, uh, John says this, he says, talking about uh, John's witness, uh, the John the Baptist, and then he talks about Jesus. He says, he, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. You see, that's it. Grace needs to be received. It needs to be taken in and embraced. This was an invitation that went to people. The people refused to receive it. They decided that they were going to do something different. It was a, it was a free gift. They didn't have to pay. There was, no, there was no ticket that was needed to get into this great banquet. The people could just come, and, and, but they, they failed to receive it. Verse 11 in John 1, he says, He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but... I love it. I love the word but. I love the word but. It means something's changing in here. Okay? There's good news coming. That's the but. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who are born, not of blood. What does that mean? Born, not of blood. That means they're not born by, um, by the right father and right mother. They don't have the right name, the right last name. They're not, they're maybe not born Jewish. They're not born of the tribe of Judah. They're not one of the 12 tribes. They're not considered the chosen, but they're not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of the man, but of God. They're born of God. You see, this is, this is the grace of God that, that compels us that compels us to know who, who Jesus is, to be able to understand that everything that he's given us is not because of what I have to work for, it's because of who he is. In fact, one of the things that I, that I teach is that, and this is what the Bible teaches as well, is that the greatest lesson we can learn in the Bible is not that we have to work so hard to get God's favor, but the thing we really need to do is just surrender. Just surrender. You know, at, at the end of World War II, some of you might have been around at the end of World War II, there was this, this four or five years of, of horrible struggle, and 
finally the Allies had defeated, had defeated Germany and the Nazis in Europe, but they still had a struggle against Japan, and it took another year, year and a half to be able to, to defeat the Japanese. And finally the Japanese surrendered. Do you remember the story? Maybe you saw it. Uh, it was on the battleship Missouri, and, and, and uh, MacArthur was there going to sign. What did they sign? They signed a, a writ of unconditional surrender. It's like, we give up. We give up. You are much more powerful than we are. Well, we've tried as hard as we can, but we can't win this, uh, so we surrender. And you know, it's exactly the same thing, exactly the same thing that we need to do today. We need to find ways to basically surrender, to say, God, you know, I, I can try. I can try to be a, a good husband. I can try to be a good father. I can try to be a good citizen. I can try to be a good employee. I can, I can try. I can, I can read this word of God, and, and it gives me great instructions on all the things that I should do, and I, and I, and I thank you for it. But I realize I still can't do it. There, there's no way that I can live up to the expectations that you have. Um, I need to surrender. I need to surrender. And if you don't believe me, let me tell you, Jesus, when he talked to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and even the people of Israel, he took them to task. You know, they knew the Ten Commandments. And they, some of them were proud and arrogant that, that they were living by the law and somehow that God had, had given them favor. They were going to be invited to this banquet, this very banquet we talked about, that they were good enough to be able to do it. And Jesus said, not so quick. Not so quick. He says, I tell you that if you've looked at, at with eyes of lust at another person, a man or a woman, if you've looked at lust with them, you've already committed adultery. What? Uh, it isn't just, it isn't just I've, I thought I was so good because I was keeping myself from actually physically doing something. And Jesus said, no, if you've even had the intention in your heart. He goes on and he says, let me tell you, he says, if you've, if you've been angry with your brother, you, you've really already committed murder. Oh my goodness. I mean, you see, if, we've, if we violate any of these commandments, we, we fail. We fall short of, of God's perfect command, of, of the way that he wants us to live. But God has a plan. God provided that bridge, and that bridge is none other than Jesus Christ. And that's why what this parable is teaching us is that there's going to be a banquet. There's going to be a time when all are going to be invited to this banquet. And it has nothing to do with who you are or what you've done. It has to do with everything about what you've received as a free gift. And that free gift that you've been given is the gift of grace. The Bible says he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own, the Jewish people. They, they did not receive him, but as many as received him, if you're hearing my voice, the offer is there. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Those were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. To be born of God. Let me pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to get together like this. We thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for these parables, because they're the words of God given to us so that we might understand about the kingdom of God. And we give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I mentioned before that we'd love to hear from you. At the bottom of the screen, you'll see that's our phone number. Feel free to, to write it down. Call us if you need us. At the same time, there's my email as well. 
Love to be able to hear from you. If you need anything, let us know. God bless you. Have a great day.